Happy Mother's Day to our earthly as well as our spiritual moms. I look out in this room and see so many ladies who have loved on their own children as well as so many who have loved on the children that God has brought into our church family. So thank you for your ministry among us. Last week, in our series in the Upper Room Discourse, we considered an amazing and a challenging promise, and that is where Jesus told His disciples that they would do, and by extension, that we as the church would do greater things than He had done. And we saw that what he was talking about was the fact that while he purchased our salvation and while he lived out the good news of the kingdom of God in the very small section of the earth where he walked, his intention was that the healing and saving gospel of Christ would go out throughout all the world, and that would happen as we, His people, in the power of the Spirit, take the gospel to every nation. <clears throat> this morning, we are blessed as well as challenged with a promise that is no less startling and no less powerful. We read it as we continue in John chapter 14. I'm actually going to go back to what we talked about last week and cover today's passage and then go on. So we'll start with John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, Jesus says, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth." Okay. You may ask for anything in my name, and I will do it. That promise preceded by these words, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In approaching this passage for study, I thought this is going to be one of those where we can dig into the nuances of the Greek language and figure out the shades of meaning that will help us. And so, I can tell you that when he says, you may ask, that means you may ask. And when he says anything, that means anything. And when he says in my name, that actually means in my name. And when he says I will do it, he is literally saying he will do it. There's no tricks here, no surprises. Jesus says in very plain language what He intends for us to understand. But as we look at it, we think, I don't get it. I've asked for things, and I think I've asked for good things. 
and they haven't happened. What does Jesus mean? Well, first of all, I want to talk about what it doesn't mean. And obviously, it doesn't mean you can get whatever you want. All you have to do is follow a magic formula, and the great vending machine will issue whatever it is that you asked for. That's not what Jesus is talking about. We know it theologically because we understand that not all the things we ask for are things that should happen. And we know it experientially because we've prayed about things. We have prayed desperately about things and not received answers. So no, it does not mean that we get anything we want. It also doesn't mean that if we pray and we don't get what we wanted, there must be something wrong with us, that our faith is too weak or that we have in some way closed God's ears to our prayers. We know that because we can look at it too, and even more, examples in Scripture of people praying and not receiving what they asked for. The Apostle Paul, known throughout the Christian church as one of the greatest believers who has ever lived, the author of much of the New Testament, the one from whom we most clearly understand the gospel of, gra of the grace of Jesus Christ as brought to us through his propitiatory death on the cross. The Apostle Paul prayed about something. The example is given to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and let's read it together. He was at a spiritual mountaintop. He had had spiritual experiences that clearly demonstrate the intimacy of his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And in the middle of that spiritual mountaintop, he says, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times, not just once he prayed, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said no. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is is made perfect in weakness. The Apostle Paul prayed in Jesus' name for something to happen, and it didn't happen. And then he said, this served for his greater joy. He is able to boast all the more in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ through this weakness that he is experiencing. An even more powerful example is seen in the life of Jesus himself. We're in the upper room discourse. Jesus is talking with his disciples, and within a few hours, he will be in the Garden of Gethsemane, will be arrested, precipitating all the events of his torture and crucifixion and terrible death on our behalf. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prays. This is how it's described for us in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, the disciples, knelt down and prayed, Father, 
If you are willing, take this cup. This is the cup of God's wrath, the cup of suffering that he is about to drink to its dregs. Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, the author of Hebrews says he prayed and pleaded, being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And God the Father said, no, this cup will not be removed from you. And Jesus went to the cross for our sake. So this wonderful promise does not mean that we'll get whatever it is that we want, and it does not mean that if we don't see the answer that we anticipated or hoped for, that we have somehow fallen short or necessarily that we have displeased the Father, that He doesn't hear our prayers, that our faith is weak. There is more going on in this passage And the key to understanding can be found actually in four elements as we go through it. Using the idea of a key is helpful here. If you've slipped a key into a lock, you understand as you hear those clicks that there are tumblers inside of that lock. And when the key is in place, all the tumblers lock into place and you can turn it and open that door. And there are four tumblers that will help us to unlock this passage. The first one is something that you have heard from this pulpit. If you have been involved in any sort of inductive Bible study, you have heard it. If you have been trained in understanding the Scriptures at just about any level, you've heard this phrase, context is king. We have to understand the context of this promise that Jesus gives. Context is referring Uh, as far as the text is concerned, to the things that come before and after, and even more broadly, to the larger section of Scripture in which any given phrase or promise or admonition is contained. Context also refers to the culture and to the time period in which any word is spoken. And we hear In life, hey, that was taken out of context. Don't take me out of context. Please, please understand all the other stuff that I have said and what specifically I'm talking about. And this promise is given within a context. It is an error to go to the Scriptures and take any particular command or any particular promise and to rip it out of its context and and make a banner out of it and say, this is what I believe, this is what I hold to, this is what I'm going to live by, whatever we need to read Scripture within its context. Well, last week we talked about the context of this passage, and in fact, in the weeks previous we did as well. The context of this promise that Jesus gives is the promise that immediately preceded that the disciples would carry out His mission, and in fact, we see by the end of their lifetime the thousands and thousands of people throughout the known world who have come to faith in Jesus Christ as they lived out Christ's mission by the power of the Spirit. 
So Jesus is talking to people whom he is sending out on mission and saying, as you are living out this mission, you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. We also see another part of this promise, and that is what follows. When Jesus says, when I go to the Father, I will send the Holy Spirit. We know from Jesus' teaching to the disciples that we can ask and the Father will answer. And Jesus gives the example, this is in the Gospel of Luke, he says, you parents know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father not give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks? The primary answer to our prayer as we carry out God's mission is the indwelling and infilling of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to do everything that God asks for life and for godliness. The primary answer is the gift of the Holy Spirit, enabling us to carry out Christ's mission, enabling us to live in a way that honors and pleases Him. This is one of the things I love about being part of the Alliance. If you go exploring on the Alliance webpage, one of the things you'll find is CMA DNA, which is pretty catchy. It's talking about the core values of the Alliance, and the first one is that prayer is the primary work of God's people. Jesus is sending us out to do His works, and that is preceded by and undergirded by and carried through with prayer. So context is king. A second tumbler in this lock is when Jesus tells us to pray in His name. Praying in Jesus' name is an astounding privilege. In Jesus' name, amen, doesn't simply mean it's time to eat. It's not simply a formula that we append to the end of the prayer to say, hey, it's time to move on to the next thing. In Jesus' name expresses the incredible privilege of prayer. Do you really think about it? I've been thinking about it more and more. When we pray, we are being bold enough as little insignificant human beings to bust into the presence of the holy God who is creator of all of the universe and to lay before Him our requests. We have no right to do that. There's no basis on which we sinful creatures should be able to go into the presence of the living God except for the fact that Jesus purchased that right for us on the cross. When He took our sins upon Himself, when He bore the wrath of God in our place, when He died for us, He opened the way so that we can go into the presence of the Father. And we have the right as children to boldly go into God's presence. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We're acknowledging that prayer is not about us or about anything that we deserve. Prayer is all about Jesus and what He has accomplished 
on our behalf. And so Jesus says, pray in my name. But there's more than that involved even. Praying in Jesus' name means praying in agreement with his character and with his person. I'm not praying about me, my character, my person. I am praying because of who Jesus is, and therefore I'm praying in agreement with whom Jesus is. We see it really clearly, John chapter 15, verse 7. Several times in the upper room, Jesus talks about prayer. He gives this promise in several different forms. In each of them, he mentions praying in his name, but in John 15, instead of actually using the words praying in his name, he describes what that means. Praying in Jesus' name means remaining in Him, abiding in Him, that His presence and His nature is the, is the home, is our spiritual home, rooted in Him, feeding on Him, with His life flowing through us. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you can ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So praying in Jesus' name means that we are feeding on His character, that His life is flowing through us, that our prayer is in agreement with who He is and what He has to say. We're not talking about self-centered praying. We're not talking about praying for our purposes, imagining that we have some sort of claim upon God. One commentator said that our prayer so often reflects our failure to understand that sacred phrase in Jesus' name. So praying in His name is praying in agreement with His character and with His purposes, and that leads us even deeper into this, this phrase, praying in Jesus' name. And that is that we are praying for His sake. We are praying for the things that He desires. We're praying for the things that He has purposed. For what He has placed us on this earth to accomplish. And of course, praying in line with Jesus' purposes means that we are praying for the glory of the Father. That's the third tumbler in this passage. Jesus says it right there. You may ask in my name, and I will do it so that the Father will be glorified. The things that Jesus accomplishes through our praying are the things that will bring the Father, not ourselves, the things that will bring the Father, the greatest glory. In fact, Jesus will only do the things that will bring glory to the Father. I will do it so that the Father will be glorified. James describes this dynamic in our praying very well. He's talking to the churches about unanswered prayer. And in James 4, 2, we read, you do not have because you do not ask God, and when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get 
on your pleasures. How much of our prayer is wrapped around the things that we believe will bring us the greatest pleasure, satisfaction, uh, glory on this earth? And Jesus isn't really interested in those things. He's interested in what brings glory to the Father. So let's talk about context again. In the book of John, what brings glory to the Father? Well, first of all, the cross. Jesus says that the name of the Father will be glorified as He goes to the cross and suffers terribly to purchase our salvation. That's why Jesus prays the way He does and receives the answer that will bring the Father the most glory. In the Gospel of John, the death of Lazarus brings glory to God. Reading further, we see that bearing much spiritual fruit brings glory to God. We've already talked about the fact that accomplishing the Father's work brings Him glory. And how about this one? Peter's martyrdom. Peter, you're going to die in the name of Jesus because it will bring the Father glory. We might be starting to think, this promise isn't as much fun as I'd kind of been hoping. And so, the fourth tumbler brings us some good news here as well. And that is that Jesus answers prayer for our joy. John 16, 23, Jesus continuing in the upper room discourse, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name until, you have not, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. We need to think about ultimate joy here. We need to think about what in the end will bring us greatest satisfaction and greatest joy, and that is the presence of Jesus Christ and eternity in ever-increasing pleasure at His right hand. Jesus is talking about eternal things, and He answers prayer for our eternal joy. It doesn't always look like the things that we think might bring us joy here and now. But it is talking about what is ultimately good and what is ultimately great and what ultimately brings us delight in His presence. I'm reminded of where the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. We're talking about the kind of praying that involves that dynamic. Sometimes the desires of our heart do not flow out of our delight in the Lord. And as we pray, He can transform 
the things in which we delight so that they reflect His desires. And as we increasingly delight ourselves in the Lord, He increasingly is able to give us the desires of our heart, leading to ever-increasing joy in our praying. So these are kind of the the four tumblers that will help us to unlock this passage. As we live in mission by the power of the Holy Spirit, we pray in alignment with the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ, and He answers in a way that brings God the greatest glory and serves for our ultimate joy. Let's look at how that dynamic was played out in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's go back to Jesus pleading before the Father, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The key is that Jesus is praying according to the will of the Father. And while God said, no, this cup will not be removed from you, God said, yes, you will be saved from death and raised Jesus from the dead and exalted Him to ultimate glory at the right hand of the Father. And so the author of Hebrews says that Jesus is our example because He endured the cross, scorning its shame for the joy set before him. It was the Father's will that Jesus suffer in order to ultimately experience the greater joy. And this can be true in our praying as well. Living on mission by the power of the Spirit praying in alignment with the person and the purposes of Jesus Christ, He answers in the way that brings God the greatest glory and serves for our ultimate joy. So how do you do that? How can we pray that way? I have a few suggestions. The first being, indeed, to pray in the Spirit, to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit as we pray. In fact, Scripture says that sometimes we come to the end of our praying. We don't even know what to, to say, Romans chapter 8. In those moments, the Holy Spirit undertakes within us, and He who knows our hearts also knows the mind of the Father and prays in accordance with the will of the Father. Sometimes prayer involves being silent and saying, God, I don't understand. I don't know what you are accomplishing in this moment, but I submit myself to you. And the Holy Spirit is praying in groans that words cannot express. So literally, when we pray, saying, God, enable me to pray in the wisdom and the power 
of the Holy Spirit. Second thing, a good place to start is to ask what you want. Remember, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Turn that around. If I am delighting in the Lord, then my desires are okay. So, I delight in the Lord. I'm going to pray about what I want. I can pray about what I desire. I think often of the blind man by the side of the road as Jesus is going up to Jerusalem, crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus says, what do you want? Jesus doesn't pull him aside and say, what's going to bring God the greatest glory in this situation? What aligns with my sovereign will? You tell me and I'll do it. No, he just says, what do you want? We are God's children. We can go into his presence and we can say what we want. We can lay out our requests before him shamelessly, boldly. That's a great place to start. But it's not where we end. Third suggestion, back up your praying with Scripture. Don't simply pray whatever comes to mind. Pray the prayers that God has laid out for us. I love the fact that one of our families this morning brought one of Paul's prayers. That's my prayer for each one of us. It's my prayer for myself, for my own children, my prayer for our church family, that God may give us the strength somehow to understand the immeasurable dimensions of His love for us and then to know, to experience that love. So pray Scripture, but in the process of praying Scripture, allow God to open our minds to other Scriptures as well, to other things that He might be doing. The prayer is a transformational process in our own hearts, aligning us with God's will and purposes in the world for what will bring Him the greatest glory and, and us the greatest joy concrete example of this in my own life. It's one of those transformational moments in your spiritual walk I had several years ago. Very dear friend, deathly ill, praying for their healing, pleading over and over. And I remember praying, God, how glorious it would be for your name if this person were healed. And it wasn't a scripture, it was actually a hymn that came to mind. Oh, that will be glory for me when by His grace I look on His face. That will be glory. Be glory for me. Here I was defining what brings God the greatest glory. And He said to me, you do not know What's going to bring the greatest glory in this particular situation? Pray for my will to be done. I didn't stop praying for the healing of that individual, but my prayer grew. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, do the thing that will bring you the greatest glory. And that individual actually did pass away and passed into the greater healing and the greater glory so much beyond what we can ever experience on this earth. 
Back up our praying with Scripture, but allow Him to also bring other Scripture or truth to mind. Fourth thing, cast your burdens on Him. So often our praying is characterized by the desperation of our own burden or the burden of others. And he says, pray freely, cast your cares on me. I care for you. I care about these situations. I care about the thing that's breaking your heart or is pulling you down. Give it over to me. Don't pray burdened. Pray freely as you cast your burdens on him. Fifth suggestion, not mine, but Jesus's, persist in praying. He gave us the example of the widow who prayed over and over and over again until she got her answer. We can do that, continually bringing before the Father the requests that we have, but, and this is the sixth one and probably the most significant, we articulate, your will be done. This is the hard test of our heart in our praying. This is actually a test of idolatry. Are we lifting up the things that we imagine to bring God the most glory and to bring us the greatest joy? Or are we saying, you know that. I'm asking you what I can and what I want, but I am submitted to whatever it is that you will do for your glory. As we pray in this way, I have a suggestion for you. Don't know which camera zooms the best. I'm going to hold it up here. Maybe they'll get it. <laughs> five things to pray. This is actually a series. This particular one is five things to pray for your kids. Now, interestingly, it's not five. It's 105. It's five things to pray about 21 different things. Praying that God will save my child, five things to pray. Praying that God will fill my child with spiritual food, fruit, five things to pray, and it goes on from there. And there's a whole series of five things to pray about the various situations in our life. This is a great one for today, Mother's Day, baby dedication, a church family praying for our kids. Let me encourage you to get it and to use it. As we pray scripturally in Jesus' name, meaning for His purposes, waiting upon God to bring Himself ultimate glory and us ultimate joy is an amazing thing. The promise is true. Our praying cannot fail. Either we will get the things we ask for, or we will get what is so much better and more glorious and brings us greater joy. Let's pray together now. Thank you, Father, for this glorious promise. It points up, out to us how often we don't know what to pray. We know what we want. 
we know what we imagine is best. And sometimes we can't understand why the answer would be no, why the answer would be wait. We feel like the things that we're praying for are good things and right and holy. But it does point out to us that your ways are greater than our ways, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts, your purposes are so great and so glorious, and our ultimate joy is so much beyond what we can imagine in this moment. We thank you, Father, for answered prayer that we have seen. And we lift up to you those unanswered prayers for healing, for the salvation of loved ones, for greater fruit and greater work in our own lives. And we simply lay them before you and we say, not my will, but yours be done. And we trust you, Lord, that your will is glorious and that your will sometimes at the far end of a long road brings us perfect joy. And so we pray in Jesus' name, amen.